This is a Broad Pods production. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Good morning and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and my co-host is the delightful Angela Pippos. Hi there, Ange. Hi, Jo. It's lovely How's to lockdown see you. treating you? Well, isn't that funny? Like here we are, You, a little insight, you and I live maybe a five-minute drive from each other. So we're within our own sort of 10Ks in the Melbourne lockdown, but we're not allowed to actually be in the same room together. So good thing that this is how we do broad radio. <laughs> I feel more connected to the world because of broad radio. Otherwise, I'd just be a little old lady in the house just <laughs> waiting to be allowed out. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs, but we push on and we are thinking of you if you are struggling in lockdown at the moment. And we're really pleased that you've joined us today. Today on the show, one of Australia's favourite comedians, Kitty Flanagan is joining us. I'm super excited to have her. We're talking period poverty and what we can do to help women and trans men who are experiencing homelessness with Donna Stotzenberg, who is the founder and CEO of the National Homeless Collective and Master Chef Judge Andy Allen joins us as well. So just a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. If you're watching on YouTube, mm -hmm. please like and subscribe. It really makes a massive difference to us. Also, if you're watching on Facebook, it'd be great if you liked and followed us. If you are wanting to catch up on any of the episodes that we've done, and there's 22 of them, you can subscribe to our podcast, Broad Radio On The Go, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we love it when you join the conversation. So uh, if you're watching or listening, make sure you share your thoughts as we're going along throughout the next hour. We'd love to hear from you. And a great way of doing that is to join our More To Say poll we do this every week it's one question and uh our question this week Ange, um maybe this is more a melbourne thing although it is going to be we've got like an icy cold snap going for the whole of the eastern seaboard yep. in australia so our question for our more to say poll this week is what's your comfort food vibe we've got salty mm. treats sweet tooth vibes sunday roast yes please uh clean eating why where's the comfort there or childhood throwbacks <laughs> Where would you go, Ange? I'm into the salty treats, I think, mm. yeah. I mean, I, I prefer a, a big meal, um, but not necessarily a roast. More, mm. I don't know, a curry or a pasta dish, um, mm. something with a bit of spice. Yes. Yeah. Mm, Putanesca. Putanesca. Mm. You love your putanesca. Isn't that what you did <laughs> I do. all of lockdown last year? <laughs> oh, yeah. you made and all of this one. <laughs> Is made just. I imagine you with a giant soup, like one of those massive, you know, kind of like in Oliver with the gruel, just like this, with the puttanesca. Is that what you like? I mean, I'm really lucky that both of the men in this house, or the one man, one one boy, they love olives, they love anchovies, they love salty flavors. So you know, we all get on well because we like the same kind of food. Mm -hmm. You might have trouble with the puttanesca I mean, because look, I know I'm, you're not wild about anchovies. I'm not wild about anchovies and I can't cook. So, right. 
a terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible cook. I do cook and I loathe it. So um, anyway, if you want to join our More to Say poll, you go in the running to win a beautiful beanie from the Hook Designs, which mm. are just the toastiest, warmest, beautiful beanies for the cold snap that's coming in. And they're handmade, beautifully hand, hand crocheted, no less. So uh, just head along to broadradio.com.au and enter that particular. We've got Andy Allen coming up from MasterChef later yep. in the show. So I'm going to have to confess to him that I can't cook. Feel, I feel quite embarrassed by that. Um, hey, so what a lot of people have been doing in this last lockdown in Melbourne, but certainly worldwide, has been watching Kate Winslet's incredible performance in The Mayor mm. of Easttown. I know you have loved this, Ange. Oh, absolutely loved it. I mean, I've got a real thing for women detectives in crime drama anyway, which dates back to the Danish series The Killing and Sarah Lund was the character and... Um, I loved her and I love these women protagonists because they're always busting stereotypes about womanhood, about being a mum, and they're always smarter than all, <laughs> than all yeah. the men around them. <laughs> they have these great instincts when it comes to solving crime. <laughs> so that I do enjoy that. Um, and, yeah, Kate Winslet's performance in Mayor of Easttown, or as we call it, Mayor of Lockdown, <laughs> Um, is outstanding. She's um, she's fantastic, and again, she's busting stereotypes. I mean, she she vapes. She's got the flannel shirt. Um, she's a bit grumpy. I what mean, about what you know, she eats? Oh my god! She just she shovels eats really those, shovels bad long, food. Like, long foot subs into her mouth. I just love it. I know, but isn't she compelling? Mm. You know, even just her facial expressions even when she hasn't got lines to deliver she is still so compelling um it's great we can't give it away though it's no, a no. hard conversation to have because there are a couple of twists yeah there's a lot of twists and turns in there mm. so we will not spoiler alert this but there's been so much talk around her face and the fact that, well, two yes. things. One, she refused to let them airbrush the images of the poster um, and mm -hmm. also there was a bit of talk around her having a scene with Guy Pearce, which was very sexy, loved that scene, uh, <laughs> where there was a little bit of tummy and she refused to let the editor take out mm. the tummy bit, which, to be honest, I'd read that and then saw the scene and I was like, is that it? Like I wanted, I wanted to see real kind of... Real woman gut. <laughs> yes. I was sad. Jiggling <laughs> around. I did. <laughs> but what do you think about all this talk around her and her natural face, Ange? Well, so she gave this interview to the New York Times and she made those comments about um, the airbrushing and this the, the director saying to her, hey, we can sort out that scene with your bulgy belly mm. if you like. And she said, no, let's let's keep it in. Um, look, I've had this conversation with a number of friends and people are very quick to say, well, it's easy for Kate Winslet to be so bold and to make these comments because she's got loads of money, um, she's, she doesn't have to worry about her job security and she has great connections in Hollywood, so she can be bold and brave and say this kind of stuff. I just think that's selling it short because the mm. power of those words we just cannot underestimate the power of those words. In, in Australia, there's a survey done every year by Mission Australia, and they survey 15 to 19-year-olds, um, boys and girls. And every year, one of the questions is, you know, what are your top three concerns? And every year, body image is in the top three. It's in there with mental health and it's in there with coping with stress and all mm. these three are interrelated. Um, but, you know, kids and women and men are starving themselves to fit a particular type of body shape mm. and, you know, we're all bombarded with these images of what womanhood should look like and femininity should be like and you know it's it's very difficult to navigate your way through it so to have someone like kate winslet come out and say this is who i am this is my face this is my stomach deal with it mm. i mean it's important it matters these words matter i i 100 agree and i think too 
That's also selling short how critical it is for her in her industry mm. and her particular career to look a certain way. Yep. And the pressure, even how that might have poisoned her. And I'm sort of thinking about all the talk around Nicole Kidman's face when she did The Undoing because she mm. seems to have had a lot of work done on her face and then we're talking about Kate Winslet's face because she hasn't had work and she's allowed to be natural and I'm like could we just stop yep. talking about women's faces can we just actually <laughs> talk about <laughs> yes. the work that they do and you know their incredible performance and their talent and the and you know the amount I mean even just knowing the research that Kate and I know that you know Nicole Kidman's an extraordinary performer as well let's not talk mm. about the way they look anymore I'm so bored of that but Chima look it, it is important in that you know, Kate Winslet said faces change. And what we have to do as a society is learn to love older faces yes. and stop covering up with photoshops and yes. all that stuff, you know. We have to, it's very sad to reach this point where you, where you have to learn to love an older face. I mean, faces change. It's but just so the reality age. of the situation. And my question to you around that though, is do you love your own aging face? Because it starts with us accepting the way we look in the mirror and going, actually, mm. I love that I got jowls. Yep. I love mm. <laughs> that my eyelids are sinking into my eyes. You know, like, <laughs> but I haven't got to that. <clears throat> Have you got to that? Well, not 100%, no, no, and that is hard. And I think the other difficult thing is, and I've been reading a lot about this, and there was a great piece done in The Guardian, that I don't want to, I don't colour my hair for the male gaze, you mm -hmm. know. That's not the reason why I do it. I do it for my career because, sadly, you and I do broad radio, but we also do television. Where are the women on television mm -hmm. with grey hair? Yeah. There are loads of men with grey hair and we're told how distinguished they look. You know, the male newsreader who can be 105 not out and still sitting at the chair <laughs> with grey hair or yeah. no hair and yeah. doing it. Mm. And where, but where are the women? So that's where I feel the pressure. It's not that I'm trying to, you know, appeal to anyone else. I just want to be... Um, you know, to have a vibrant career and yeah. I don't want my career to end. So that's where the, I find the pressure comes. And, and that's where I, saw, I thought that it was very cruel when people were judging Nicole Kidman because I'm like, you have no idea the that's pressure true. that she may have felt over the last 20 years to maintain a certain mm. look because she wants to keep working and she wants great roles. Yeah. Like it's, that's yep. a totally fair enough thing. Um, and you know what? Do whatever you want to your face. Who cares? It's your own face. Well, that's right. That's right. It's a, it's a, it's a personal choice. It's yes. not, I'm not going to judge anyone for what mm. they do with it, but I just would like to think that as you get older, you know, you're st still seen as, you know, mm. someone who can contribute um, yes. to the industry. Mm. And, of course, you can. You've got runs on the board. You've got wisdom and all these things that the industry could do with. Um, you know, a little bit of grey hair really shouldn't be a problem. Yes. Now I've just—I just don't know if you noticed there that our next guest has cut, has dropped out there. She's um, sent us a little message that uh, she's she's reconnecting. And while, whilst we're waiting for Kitty to do that, um, I just wanted to mention though, Ange, that um, of course now Kate Winslet has been named the next face of L'Oreal. So yes. I wonder—I <laughs> wonder if they've <laughs> chosen her because she has been so so outspoken about her face and you know accepting everything that she is as, as a 40 something year old woman um mm. and then the next question is is that actually an untouched photo well it's hard to tell isn't it looking at it she looks fantastic um and i i think she's a good choice as well as the brand ambassador and that's because of what she says and i don't know if she's contradicting herself and that has been yeah photoshopped or whatever mm. um but i think it's 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 the power of her words again it's about saying like you know this is who i am um treat me as a serious human being mm. yeah. <laughs> because you're right so much of the conversation is always about the way a woman looks it's like women athletes you know 
it's not good enough that they're strong and fast and fit and fabulous and, and the best at their game. They also have to look good to get the sponsorship, to continue yeah. being athletes. I mean, it's Isn't never enough. It's <laughs> madness to me. It's infuriating. Yeah. You know what? Um, we are going to keep trying to get Kitty back on the line, but what we're really lucky is that we have one of our other guests waiting for us and uh, <laughs> we're very excited to be speaking with her. So I reckon we'll just, um, she's waiting patiently in the wings. So um, we'll just, will we do a quick little bumper and then we'll introduce Donna? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Well, and when we launched earlier this year, we launched with a charity partner, uh, Women's Housing Limited, and we chose to do that because women are the fastest growing group facing homelessness in Australia. And we still continue to work with Women's Housing Limited who are doing incredible things. But um, we thought that this was a really great opportunity to speak specifically about the experience of homelessness when it comes to managing periods and period poverty for women and trans men. So we're really thrilled to welcome to the show Donna Stotzenberg, who is the founder and CEO of National Homeless Collective. Thanks for standing by there, Donna. Oh, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed watching all of this. It's been great. Um, Donna, that is a really sad statistic that there's this incredible growing group of women who are facing homelessness. Why is that? Look, it, there are a lot of reasons why women are facing homelessness and the fastest growing cohort at the moment is middle-aged women. There are so many uh, factors that happened you know that sort of started 20 years ago 30 years ago that we didn't take care of things like women not uh you know um the gender parity uh women not having enough superannuation women more likely being carers and part-time workers who now can't afford uh, a place of their own because of the housing affordability crisis they've been locked out so those women um, are now just tumbling into homelessness at such an incredibly fast rate. The the entire and so much of, of what um, you and 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 were talking about before, Joe, really speaks to the reason that we still have period poverty, and largely that's because we don't have women at the table when it comes to disaster recovery and uh, social issues. So uh, I think it was when the Melbourne Period Project started back in 2015 was the very first time that the words menstruation and tampon had ever been said in Victorian Parliament, like in the history of forever. And that's only because um, we were introduced to Parliament by Fiona Patton. And we are only just getting our seat at the table now as far as our own uh, care and concern with how female homelessness is managed. And Donna, there are a lot of um misconceptions about homelessness and one of them being that it's just people that you see on the streets which it's it's broader than that isn't it do we have a an idea of how many people uh, are homeless in Australia and, and, and what percentage of women? It, it depends on state to state. What we know is that there is at least about 120,000 people experiencing homelessness. Our previous census um, never had a ticker box, are you homeless? It was uh, sort of decided by deduction of other factors that people weren't putting where they lived and that's how we figured out that, that people were experiencing homelessness. We know that in Victoria there are around uh, 20, there were 25,000 people experiencing homelessness back in the 2016 uh, census and we know that that has grown by at least about 12%. And in uh, across Australia, it's about 55% male, 45% uh, female. The main cause of homelessness for women is domestic violence, domestic abuse and housing affordability. When it comes to rough sleeping, um, I think about 75% are male and 25% uh, are female. So depending on which factors you're actually looking at, rough sleeping, overcrowded dwellings, uh, if, if a person is, um, you know, if you're looking statewide or when we look by nationality, our First Nations people are really overrepresented in homelessness statistics by, I think they make up about 17% of homelessness, but only about 3% of the general population. So there's a huge overrepresentation there as well. But when you're talking about uh, women who are experiencing homelessness, their challenges are significantly, I suppose, higher than perhaps their male cohorts because 
Um, firstly, I'm assuming that it's a situation of feeling unsafe a lot of the time. And of course, there's the dignity or lack of um, when it comes to managing your periods. Yeah, exactly. Well, the biological process of menstruation is something that can't be stopped or uh, started unless it's chemically um, changed. So uh, when, you, when you're experiencing homelessness and your period starts, you can't just stop it. It's really funny how many men actually thought that you could just hang on to it like if you're wanting to go to the bathroom. What? And Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It was really it surprised <laughs> me that a lot of... No, no, it's true. A lot of men, well, we'll just hang on. Just wait, you just wait till you go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, We're kind of realising, you know, there's clenching, but you can't clench that much. <laughs> Um, so yeah, look, women are more vulnerable as far as assault and sexual assault goes as well. So um, they they are much more likely to be assaulted on the street if they're out there on their own. Uh, it's very hard to find a shelter and protection on the street. Often, uh, not not always, but often there is mental health uh, issues involved as well. And unfortunately, when it comes to sexual assault on the street, women often uh, are not considered credible witnesses to their own rape cases because they have experienced mental health. So uh, it really does open up a, um, a, it's a horrible, horrible situation for women out there. And when it comes to menstruation, I mean, the reason the period project started all those years ago was I was actually delivering sleeping bags to people on the street. And uh, there was a lady sitting outside Flinders Street Station and she very discreetly sort of asked me, you know, she was like, asked me if I had some tampons that I could give her and I didn't have any. We were there to deliver sleeping bags and she told me that she was literally sitting there uh, having her period and bleeding and she couldn't move off the ground. So uh, I asked her what she wanted and went over the road and bought um, some tampons for her, bought them back and as soon as I handed them to her, she just burst into tears and said that she had a visit with her children the next day. They were in foster care. And her only choice at that point was either to steal the tampons or steal money to get the tampons or ask a stranger. So thankfully, she chose the last option. And she asked me and I asked her, was there any programs of support for women experiencing homelessness and um, for menstrual poverty? And she said, no, none that she knew of. And when I investigated, there was nothing. I was absolutely appalled. So we started the period project, which now runs nationwide and we help thousands and thousands of women and, and trans men uh, each year and, and non-binary as well, people. And Donna, this would mean that for a number of women, they, they're forced to choose between food or sanitary products, an awful position to be in. And if they choose food, they're using less hygienic ways to um, deal with their period. And that just creates more problems, doesn't it, for, for them? It really does. And period poverty extends beyond homelessness as well. There are a lot of people who are living in with a roof over their head, not that we'd call it stable housing or security of tenure, who also aren't able to afford basic sanitary items. And what they're forced to do to manage their period is just horrific. We've heard of women reusing pads and tampons, you know, washing them out and squeezing them, trying to squeeze them dry and reusing them, using uh, some women have gone to laundromats to try and find a sock that might be left in a dryer. Some women have used leaves uh, and, and or other articles of clothing that they've had to put in their underwear or resort to stealing uh, products and, um, you know, or asking strangers. They're just using products that are just really not designed for menstrual management at all. And one of the cruel aspects about that too is that women are often forced to manage their period outside of their cultural norms as well if they can't choose the products that they prefer to use, then they're forced to uh, manage it in ways that conflicts with their culture and that also causes ongoing psychological effects as well. It's awful. It is yeah. really awful. And I think something that's not spoken enough about, Donna, how important is it for you that this is also about breaking the stigma around firstly homelessness, but also conversations around managing periods? 
Well, one of the reasons, Joe, that we put the word period into our name was so people would be forced to say it. And <laughs> we got so much backlash from that. Like, why can't you call it ladies things or that time of the <laughs> month or, you know, things like that. And we're like, no, damn you, you will say period. We're going to normalize that word. And we got in trouble for not calling it the menstruation project after that. So we couldn't win. <laughs> but we just thought, you know, period is the common term that, that people use. We're trying to break down the stigma. And a lot of the time, a lot of the stigma is actually perceived and not real. And that's one of the things that we found really interesting. We think that men from the older generations are we automatically think that they're shy about periods and that, you know, it's an uncomfortable conversation. And I've actually found them to be the most receptive to supporting period poverty and making sure that women and girls are okay. I remember talking at a Lions Club one one day about the period project and it was, I think the average age would have been about 85 and uh, all these retired men sitting there and I'm talking about menstruation and pads and periods and uh, this man just jumps up out of his seat and slaps the table and is like, this is terrible, this, this, this is awful. And I thought, oh, no, here we go, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and he just goes, he goes, there are women out there bleeding and they haven't got anything to use for it. This is terrible. We must help them. And that's when I really had my eyes open to the fact that we think they're squeamish. But generally mm. they're not. And I found, because this was early on in the days with the period project, and then I found as time went on that the men that we spoke to really wanted to be a part of that conversation. They wanted to join in. They want, they've, they've got wives. They've experienced menstruation in the marital bed. They've got daughters, granddaughters, mm. and they want to make sure that they're okay as well. So it's important that we don't assume that men should be excluded from this conversation because they don't have a uterus, especially given... When we look at uh, disaster recovery and uh, decision making, there there are not enough women at the table. So we have to include the men in the conversation and demand that things like uh, period poverty are eradicated. There's some very exciting work coming out from uh, Melbourne City Council uh, soon with a trial for free sanitary items in six of the Melbourne City Council buildings. So uh, we've been going for six years and, you know, that's a start. We got rid of the yeah. GST on tampons because they were considered a luxury, which was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I love having my period. It's great. It's such a luxury. It's wonderful. Oh, such a luxury. Um, Donna, I did see that the City of Melbourne is now now, um, providing free sanitary products in certain facilities in, in their municipality and I hope that that kind of stuff I think it's happening more and more around the country but we also can contribute it's only five dollars to make and distribute one period pack and you can head along to nhcollective.org.au to donate and you can actually commit to donating every month and I like yep. that idea you know we get our period every month and we can contribute maybe 20 bucks every month that's going to go and support the women who are facing homelessness who need some support with their periods as well I kind of like that idea yeah it's, it's kind of like sponsor you know sponsor a sister yeah. um, or a brother in the case of yeah. trans men but um, yeah. each time you get your period if you donate we get some donations in from the public with pads and tampons and we work with an incredible organization uh, called Giftbox Organic and that's a plus one subscription and uh, so even though the value of the period packs that we give out is higher than $5, with the donations that we get in, it costs an average of about $5. And we put things in there so that people sleeping rough can manage their period as well. So we have wipes in there. We have liners for people who can't change their underwear or do their washing. We have disposable bags so that the used product isn't thrown away uh, or, you know, doesn't dirty the, the person's other belongings so everything it's like if you went camping without a toilet and you got your period we that that's how we have looked at menstrual mm. management as far for people on the street so there's a whole lot that goes into those packs mm. and we're not government sponsored we're, we're not government supported at all so we do rely on the public to uh, support us to um, uh, help people and unfortunately we find that every year the amount of sanitary items we need to pass on to people is growing more and more and more. In fact, um, um, Women's Housing Limited was the very first organisation that we supported um, six wow. years ago. They got in touch with us and uh, they were like, we're desperate, we need some, you know, some sanitary items. And from there, we've now grown to, I think there's over 60 organisations in Melbourne alone that we support. And uh, we have seven other projects as well so if you head on to the nh collective page and i'm going to give our raffle a plug because we have a oh, raffle yes. for an awesome holiday <laughs> at the moment 
it's being donated to us. There's two holidays. One's an amazing fishing trip for two, and the other one is a, a trip to Orpheus Island, a luxury holiday. They've both been donated to us. They're being raffled off. So 100% of a ticket sale goes to, like, if you buy one ticket, you support five women. So we really need people to to do that. That would that would be awesome. Oh, Donna, thank you so much for joining us on Broad Radio today. And of course, we encourage everybody to head along to nhcollective.org.au. Thank you so much for all the amazing work that you do, Donna. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful to chat. Oh, well, let's not waste time introducing her. We all know how amazing she is and we all love her dearly. So we are hoping that uh, Kitty is there. Oh, maybe I... I don't know. Oh, Kitty, I feel like I'm shaming her internet. It's not her fault. <laughs> there she is. Hi there, Kitty. Oh, I feel like yay. Can you see and hear I us? Felt like I felt like what Donna had to say was far more important than anything I could say. So I thought, let's let's put her up front. I'm disconnecting. I'm yeah. disconnecting. Yeah. Let's put Donna on first because that's really important. Whereas <laughs> I've got nothing important to say. Well, that's so. not true. But Kitty. I will be donating. That's a fantastic cause. I was really I, I really mm. enjoyed listening to what you it, had to say. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. It's only five dollars for one pack, and the difference that you would. And make extraordinary for. that it's not government. I thought for sure. Wow. Well, that's supported by the government. Why wouldn't you? But no. Mm. So all right, I'll get on board. Nice. Um, Kitty, lovely to have you on Broad Radio. Congratulations on your latest venture, which is your very funny series, Fisk, on the ABC. I really, really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, it was a ripper. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. Um, you, I don't know, did you hear the conversation we were having earlier about Kate Winslet and the changing of the posters and all that sort of stuff? Do, do, do you escape yeah. conversations like that when you're a comedian? Well, a few things. Like, first of all, yes, I, I had to control what sort of photo went on the poster for Fisk, but not because I wanted my face changed, but because I just wanted to make sure they didn't use any wacky photos. Because when, <laughs> when people do publicity for comedy, they always want to use a wacky photo. And it's my fault. I know better. But during the photo shoot, you're there, you're being sensible, you're being sensible, you're being sensible. And you just go for so long and then you do one stupid thing and you go, oh, no, that's the one they're yeah, going to use. Yeah, that's don't stick your use. tongue out. Never stick your tongue out in a photo shoot. What am I doing? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I learned that so early in the game when I did a photo shoot really, really early on with my sister and they got a photo shoot of us making scones. We used to make scones every Thursday. We lived together. And um, we were making scones and I picked up two scones, put them on my eyes and my sister turned around and went, well, there's the photo. We may as well not do any more. And sure enough, there it was in Who Weekly with two scones on my eyes. What an idiot. What an idiot. But as far as, you know, sex scenes, uh, firstly, there will never be any in Fisk. Um, I can guarantee that for you. I don't even need to see sex scenes on any. I just don't need to see them. Like if they walk into the bedroom and shut the door, I'll just imagine what they're doing. I feel like my imagination <laughs> is much better than any I don't want to I don't want to see people doing it I don't care what they look like but I just I don't want to see anyone doing it and I certainly could never do it myself imagine trying to do a sex scene and the director comes over and goes sorry what are you doing and I was like oh I, I, I thought I was doing sex is this not it and you find out that for all these years you've been doing it wrong I would never put myself in that position I couldn't do it oh jeez um, <laughs> I am standing in the corner, going no, just up a bit higher, harder, faster. So I was like, I no, not for me. So yeah, feel free to watch, watch Fisk with your children. There will be no sex scenes. Yeah, <laughs> I loved Fisk, and it came after Utopia when you were the PR woman. So you've done. PR woman beautifully, I might say, and then you've got into the lawyer. Um, what occupation would you like to sort of sink your teeth into next? Who, if, you know, who would you like think, to honour? I think that's probably <laughs> it, it for me. I've got two characters, one with straight hair, one with curly hair, so I'm done really. <laughs> I could do now. <laughs> that, that's the extent of my acting skills. Um, well, I'd like, to, I'd like to do more Fisk. I don't think we're finished with, uh, with Helen the lawyer yet, so I'll, um, I'll hopefully get to do another, another series of that and then I can... Uh, I, I don't know. Then I think I'm done, really. Uh, just no, yeah, you're it's not. taken me a long time. That's to, not it's true. taken me a long time to get my head on the television, and um, that's why I kind of there's a part of me that also goes, it's really hard if you have to wait. You know, I've been writing things since I was 
and I can I can tell you the exact age. Since 33, I've been trying to get a show up on TV because I remember because yeah. everything I write, it always starts with, you know, Helen, 33, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then a couple, then it becomes, oh, now I'm pitching Helen, 35. Now it's Helen, <laughs> late 30s. Now into Helen, early 40s. Now it's Helen, late 40s. Jesus Christ, when am I getting on the television? So I kind of, you know. I sort of get it, you know, if you want to kind of go, oh, I should have been on TV at 33. <laughs> we have to wait 20 years and now you have to look at my 53-year-old head. It's sort of, I don't know, I, I do understand when, when people get a bit vain about it because you are being, mm. being scrutinised mm. by everybody and it's all very well for women to sit around and go, you know, you should just show your real face. But who is it but women who ring up and go, Sandra Sully looks terrible tonight. Mm. Where did she get those earrings? Why mm. is she wearing that top? It's never the men who write in and say, I don't mm. like the top she's wearing. I don't like the earrings. So I think, you know, the sisterhood is a little bit... Um, a little bit two-faced on that whole thing. Well, it can to be excuse the pun there. Well, that's because we're kind of I, I critical so. of ourselves as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I discovered very late in the piece, fortunately, that um, they can do something quite magical in the actual edit. Like they can make your face look a bit nicer in the edit. They can. Can I thought they could only do it with still pictures, but they can get a magic pen out and they can, if, <laughs> if you've got the money to do it in the budget. The ABC but, um, does not have that money. We didn't have a lot of money in the budget for that sort of thing, so it could only happen if I was sitting really still. But um, <laughs> I had uh, I had really bad acne as a kid, so I'm very sensitive about acne scars on my on my cheeks. And usually we had a fantastic lighting person, a fantastic DOP, and they kind of work around that kind of thing. But there were a couple of shots where I did look at it and I said to the lovely D, who was our um, who was our person in charge of the grading? I said, "Can can you do something about that?" And she went, "Yeah, I can. I can put a bit of a magic pin over that." And I said, oh, "Just yes. just soften it a bit. They can't delete it, but they can just soften it a bit." And I said, "Look, I won't ask all the time." I said, "But just that one particular shot. It was very close." I said, "I just I wouldn't usually let the camera come that close." And she said, "That's fine." She said, "It's your television show. You can do what you want." I said, "Thanks very much, Dean. That's very kind of you." <laughs> Otherwise, sometimes it can become distracting. I think people just go, oh, she's got acne scars and start peering at the television. So, yeah, I only did it once or twice. I did it once or twice and the ABC also asked for one. Did they? Her face looks weird in their shock and you do something about it. But it was worth the wait to see you acting and it's just been fantastic. So you're a writer, director, actress, stand-up, stand-up comedian, um, you know, what is there left to do? I mean, you've, you've covered sort of the, the arts fairly <laughs> comprehensively, but your books are good too. We, love, we, we loved reading, you know, your most recent book and it gave us some, Joe, some good tips, didn't oh. it, about how to navigate our way through life? <laughs> That's it. It's, oh, oh, I was going to hold it up, but there it is on the screen. I've got, there it look, is. I've got a real copy oh. as well. Um, yeah, well, 400, we, we, four, you did the launch for me, Joe. You did a, a great thing for me at the at the festival. We had yeah, a chat about that. That was my greatest, one of my greatest joys, being on stage with you talking about your writing. <laughs> um, and I'm not just saying that because you're on broad radio, um, but <laughs> you bring all of these rules for life, and some of them are just so spot on. Particularly the ones that you write around movie makers, and we're talking about a lot about this today. <laughs> um, directly to movie makers, no one has sex on the kitchen floor couldn't be more accurate um women wash themselves to get clean not to get off oh just i'm so sick of seeing this scene in a in a shower when they like wash themselves like this oh so languid oh. <laughs> and then they just you know no one's ever like given it a bit of this <laughs> bit of this come on <laughs> wash your bits ladies and no one ever puts a shower cap on in a movie either when do you yeah. ever see someone put a shower cap on mm. but they always have wet yeah, hair that's true don't they? In movies. I, my shower cap is my favourite thing. I mean, I guess that's because I got curly hair and moisture's your enemy. But I just, I, I can't, I can't shower without a shower cap. It's like those stupid things they put. You know those showers they have where it's just a thing that comes out of the ceiling. Yes. Every woman hates those, surely. Yeah, because you are you both, you're both looking at me now like you've no, got no, those no. fancy pants. No, I get it. Because you don't always want to wash your hair. So you, you don't want to be able to wet your hair. It. Yeah, no, I yeah. get that. Oh, I'm a big fan of the shower cap. I, I absolutely, I don't want to wash my hair more than once a week. No way. Um, when it comes to movies, the, the one that I don't like is that when there's a woman who's running away, they always have her tripping over her feet. I mean, 
there's there's this assumption that women cannot run it doesn't matter if there's not a log there she manages to trip over something i can't stand it that's mine <laughs> oh well i must say during um during the filming of fisk i there were a few scenes where i had to run and it wasn't until the edit when everyone started laughing and they said oh that's really funny what you're doing and i went Oh, that that's good, but I wasn't actually trying to be funny. But apparently, I I can't run, and I didn't know that. I thought I was quite athletic and quite sporty, and I just I run like a mum who's late for tuck shop. It's just it was really embarrassing. And I don't mind because it turned out to be funny, but it's just always mm. better to be funny when you know you're being funny. <laughs> that, 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 true. true. So here's another thing about movie makers and it really pisses me off is when the woman stands against the wall crying and then collapses to the floor, up against the wall. Oh, like yep. when sliding I was sobbing, yeah, sliding down yep. the wall, take to your bed like a normal person. That's where yes. sobbing happens. <laughs> I remember I remember Tony Collette in um in About a Boy did the most fantastic crying on the couch. Do you remember that one? And yeah. she had snot coming out. It was just it was the best bit of real crying I'd ever seen. I just went, mm. Oh, she she's method, that woman. She's really given <laughs> yeah, it something. Yeah. Whereas, this you know, if she'd been directed by a man to do crying, yeah, they would have done exactly that. Can you just dab with the tissue, mm. hold it in, do a bit of waving your eyes? <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak a session just oh, Yeah, it's true. It it's great. Yes. <laughs> but what about the fact, Ange, that uh, Kitty is giving parenting <laughs> advice? Ah, yes. Without, without being now, an actual parent. I think it's a masterstroke. I think we need more people who are truly independent when it comes to this subject. I'm, I'm up for it. So I'll be calling you Thank next you, time Ange. I have something to sort out. Yeah, I feel like I'm objective and I can really help. Yes. Like I had, I had friends who were faffing around trying to give their toddler a, you know, she had to take her medicine and they had it in the little tube trying to inject it. I was like, give it to me. I can peel a cat like nobody. You know, I can take my cat hole and shove a pill down there. I can do your kid no problem. Like that kid doesn't even have teeth yet that they're going to get. Like give me that kid. I can peel it for you. I need to tell you, and though, also, Kitty. I don't have children, so I haven't mucked it up. So all my advice, like, hasn't been proven wrong because mm. I've not mucked up parenting. <laughs> it's no, not... pure advice. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, also, the other thing is my daughter, when she saw me reading this the other day, she's 12, Kitty, and she said, oh, can I read that after you? And I was like, oh, fantastic. I now absolve <laughs> myself from all parenting responsibilities. This is going to get her to adulthood now. Kitty. Well, I you be like careful with that, Joe. My daughter now through that book. You be careful because I've had a lot of people say their kid read the book and now the kid follows them around, holding them, and saying, calling them out on the rules, going, "You're not allowed to do that. That's the rule. You're not allowed to do that. That's the rule." Oh. So just beware <laughs> that she'll become the rule maker. Oh my god! And the bossy children are the most tedious things around. <laughs> I can't stand bossy children. Well, that's another hey, thing Kitty. in movies. Like when do you ever see movies where kids talk like real kids instead mm. of like with these smart, witty mm. rejoinders? It's like the kids don't talk like that. Actually, no. Francis, Ange's son does talk like that. <laughs> he does actually He's talk a... like that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, when I've got him in lockdown 24-7. There's too much smart assery. Yeah, there's way too much yeah. smart assery from kids on television that mm. I just don't think they'd get away with. They certainly wouldn't have got away with it, you know, from my mum would have said, nah, you don't talk like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Is Kitty, is Kitty there, frozen Kitty? or is oh, that me? No, I think Kitty has frozen. Oh, it's the Botox. No, no. What's happened? <laughs> oh, what a shame. I was going to ask Kitty about her touring because she is actually touring, but um, we've lost her. I think that's going to be the end of it. Oh, and I wanted to. I had a bone to pick with her too. Oh, what about? About dark chocolate. Oh, yeah. One of is... her rules, dark mm. chocolate is not a treat. Yeah. I couldn't disagree anymore with that I, statement. I, I mean, dark I chocolate is the, the top of the tree when it comes to the chocolate family. Well, well, now that Kitty has left, you and I can agree that dark chocolate is top of the tree as well. And um, we'll speak ill yeah. behind her back. And to, yeah. <laughs> that, that she's in fact wrong about that particular one. Well, unfortunately, we've had to say goodbye to Kitty, but um, let me just mention that she is touring Queensland in July and Melbourne in November. But anyway, <laughs> do make sure you head along and uh, check out Kitty because she's one of the greatest comedians you can see live as well. Um, we're going to have more Broad Radio after this. 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, <laughs> we've got you covered. Broad Radio. Here for more. Now, Ange, we've already established that I'm a terrible cook. Um, <laughs> not much of a foodie. But what I will say is I love watching very talented people produce incredible dishes on screen and drooling over them. I mean, it's a bit of a fantasy, I think, watching something like MasterChef. So it's a great joy to welcome to the show MasterChef Judge Andy Allen. Hi there, Andy. Hey, ladies. How are you going? Oh, it's really great to speak with the person who's in the space while those poor people are literally, we see them sweating. Sometimes I'm like, are they going to sweat into the food? What kind of pressure actually is in that environment? It's huge. I think, um, and especially as you get deeper and deeper and deeper into the competition, um, you just want to do the best that you can. Sometimes you can just see the wheels starting to get a little bit shaky um, and, and all of the, you know, guys have got so much riding on this. So... I think it's um it, that's when you really start to see the pressure uh, at the forefront, and I think it's not MasterChef's really not about who the best cook is, um, but it's just who can deal with that pressure on a daily basis the best. Um, I suppose maybe that's why back in 2012 I was successful because I don't think I was the best cook, um, but I could just deal with the pressure. Mm. Well, that's right. You were a contestant first and now you're a judge. Do you get some sort of perverse pleasure, though, out of watching people struggle like that with the clock ticking down and all the stress that goes with it? You know, are you a sadist? <laughs> no, for me, I, I really love to be a helping hand in that situation because I do know how hard it is. I think one of the beauties of being an ex-contestant is that you can really see these guys go through exactly what you were going through. Um, back in the day when I was on the competition. So um, that's really been a bit of a, an unknown for me on how powerful that is because you literally just, you can you can pick up on things straight away and try and be that person that can dig them out of whatever hole that they're in. Um, and I love that part. I really love to be a helping hand. I, like our job isn't to stand there and criticise and just say, this is good, this is bad, this is ugly. It's really to get these guys in a to a place where they cook the best food possible because uh, that's what it's all about and that's what you guys want to see. You don't want to see the, you know, the failures. MasterChef, it's such a positive show. You want to see the successes. I think there is a little bit of um, schadenfreude perhaps around seeing a little failure every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to paint a picture for you, Andy, because what I find okay. fascinating is that these incredible cooks and incredible judges who are all very, you know, established chefs, um, creating beautiful foods, whilst the people at home watching, generally speaking, are families mm. and parents in the kitchen who are just going, oh, my God, do I have to cook dinner again? Because yeah. yeah. in a normal household, mealtime is a punish. And, and I find 
trying to work out what to cook every night are just destroying at times. Have you got yeah. for us at home who are watching the fantasy that is MasterChef, just some hacks, some things that might help us get through the daily gruel of it? Um, I think planning is a big thing. It's like anything. It's even in like the restaurants. If you don't plan, it's going to be so much harder um, than what it actually is. So making sure that you've got time to to shop, you know, how many times do you go and look in the fridge? And the reason that you probably cook a pretty shitty meal is because you started with pretty shitty stuff. So um, you want to be able to look in that fridge and if there's an abundance of amazing stuff to get your hands on, then already dinner is easier and, and knowing what you're going to do with those ingredients. I mean, you know, knowing that you might be cooking, let's say, a bolognese for Sunday night because, you know, everyone loves to get a bit of comfort food on a Sunday night knowing what to do with that leftover bolognese through the week so you can have it for lunches or you've got your bolognese sauce that you could put, I don't know, in tacos or something like that later on in the week so that you, you kind of, you, two birds, one stone type thing. You've cooked one meal, but then you've got the base of that meal that you can reuse for lunch or dinner throughout the week. I'm slightly different to Joe in that I enjoy cooking um, but we are in our fourth lockdown here in Melbourne and so I guess that there are challenges around you know that we're doing more cooking at home than we have before and perhaps a little short on inspiration we're stuck at home with (laughs) the same people day after day Mm. (laughs) Um, have you got some tips with um, comfort food you mentioned comfort food it's also I look outside it's minus 10 in Melbourne. What about some dishes just to help us get through the next few weeks of, of, of Melbourne winter? I think you guys are in a lovely position to be able to cook comfort food because comfort food takes time, um, you know, and, and comfort food for me is, you know, pastas and gnocchi and lasagna and all of that stuff that, yeah, you probably can't have three or four times a week, um, but it really does take time and, and trying to, I suppose, go the next level on on your comfort food in that, you know, making some fresh pasta because it's not hard. Um, Making some fresh gnocchi also because it's not hard. And that is like, you know, an afternoon process that also you can involve the kids in um, because, you know, flour and dough, kids are all over. And and you can really make it a family experience so that when when you do sit down, it's much more of a like, I cooked that all from scratch, you know. We made that pasta together. We made that gnocchi together. We made that sauce together um, from amazing ingredients and then you sit down as a family and it just feels so much more special. That's what I love about having a Sunday afternoon off. You can really do things that and, – and maybe you guys are the same day in and day out because, unfortunately, you're in lockdown. You have a lot of time to be able to go, you know what, instead of buying a pack of pasta or a packet gnocchi or a packet lasagna sheet – I'm going to do it myself. And for me, that's, that's what cooking is about, trying to do it once so that you've done it and then the next time it's going to be better and better and better um, and you, you increase your skills. So I'd say trying to do things from scratch. I'd say give yourself enough time and, and books as well. Books is a massive thing. I think there's so many good um, chefs out there that do have cookbooks and find a chef that you like um, and go and buy his book or buy his or her books because you might find one recipe online, but there's a whole raft of ref- recipes in, in a cookbook, and I think that they're still, um, they've still got space for the, for the kitchen table um, instead of just going straight to the internet. I reckon what you've highlighted there, Andy, is that um, cooking needs not to be, because my issue is that it's like I just want it done and out of the way. But you need to really yeah. embrace it as a process yeah. of nourishing your family and yourself. Mm. And the process mm. itself is just as important as what you're putting in your body, yeah? Definitely. And I think, you know, you look at making gnocchi from scratch. Let's go with the gnocchi card. Like, you know, you find some epic potatoes, you know, and you go and do some research on what, what potato is best for the gnocchi. Um, and you find out where that potato came from. Um, and then you get in the kitchen and you make that thing from scratch. And A, it's going to taste better. B, it's going to be better for you. And C, when you when it hits the table, as I said, everyone is going to be like, wow, that's like that's what I'm talking about. That gets me excited. And it makes that, you know, three-hour process well worth it. Um, and, yeah, there might be a couple of hiccups along the way and it might not be as best as you turned out. But you made it from scratch, knew where everything came from, um, and you're sitting down with a family from, from something that you made literally with your bare hands. 
I love that you've used the word epic potatoes. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to find epic potatoes. And so, Andy, that leads me to ask the question, um, your passion about organic and sustainable foods. Um, tell us yeah. about how we can take that into the foods that we buy. How can we sort of inform ourselves around organic and sustainable yeah, ingredients? I I think the first thing is just knowing where your food comes from. Um, that's massive for me. I think in the restaurants, um, we try as much to support small local producers, um, but then obviously sometimes that can't happen. I remember when we opened our, our Byron restaurant and we decided to put um, a 50K radius on where we get produce from. And you might think, well, that's quite easy. It's an amazing place up there and there's a lot of amazing produce. But we started to, let's say, the avocado toast. We, do a, we made an avocado toast dish and then all of a sudden, because we were so busy, we'd clean this guy out of avocados. So that was great because we were supporting a local business. But then on the other hand, we were, he had no produce left. So we realized how hard that actually was for that restaurant. So we just started to increase it out a touch. But I think... Knowing where that food come from comes from is so important um, and just doing your bit. And I think, again, you'll feel so much better when you're either supporting a local producer or you've found a piece of produce that is amazing from Australia because I think that is so important and it's something that we really have drawn a line in the sand in our, in our restaurant group, Free Blue Ducks, and said that we're not going to get any overseas products at all on our menu um, because we believe that's how it should be. Um, oh, there's Rosemary there. It looks beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. and then, and then also with the organic side of things, and I'm not going to say that, you know, everything has to be organic. Cause I think that that is just unrealistic. Um, but buying organic where you can is massive. Knowing that it actually is organic is, is a huge thing as well. Looking for that Australian organic certified logo is massively important. Um, because really for me, organic food, there's a couple of things. It tastes better. Um, when you're an organic farmer, you really, your, your job is to look after your soil um, because that's what makes food um, tastier and grow better and grow more successfully. So when, when you introduce things like chemicals and herbicides and pesticides, that's speeding that growth process up. And what that is doing is extracting the nutrients um, from the soil. And, and that is really going to be harmful, not only to your produce, not only to you, but for the land as well. And I think that that's something that we should all be really trying to trying to do is, is preserve our land because it is so important. Um, and it's what all of our food comes from and we need to look after it. And Andy, I've gone on a similar kind of journey understanding what organic means and how important it is as far as our mm. soil and our earth is concerned because you and I share a relationship with Saba Organics, which is one of the world's yeah. only 100% certified organic skin and body range. Um, and I've really learned how important it is and, and the difference between certified organic products and, you know, something that's known as natural ingredients. Yeah, I think down the bottom of those little bottles there, there's a, there's, that's the little certified organic um, logo that you're looking for. Um, it's, it's really important because, like you say, Joe, there are so many organic companies out there. But certified organic is, is the thing that you're looking for because that means you are 100% certified organic and it's really important and i didn't really know much about you know the whole skin care organic side of things before um i i was um introduced to saba and, and created a, a great relationship with cosmo and the guys there um because for me it was all about food you know like I, I, that was it, it was hand in hand i was dealing with it every single day um and i understood that but then when the guys came to me and and i think that the most simple thing that i learned from those guys is that you, your body is a sponge. Like whatever you put on it, whatever you put it, you know, around it, whether it be spray or lotion or a body wash, it is going to suck that up. Um, you know, even if you're in the shower and you're washing it off, there is a time when your skin is exposed to, to what you're putting on it. And, and it is a sponge. So why would you go and put harmful things on your body? And it, you may not think that, oh, you know, I'm in the shower, I'm washing it off, but I'm in there for, ten, for, you know, it's on me for a minute or two minutes. But think about that over the time of your lifetime. You know, we have probably one or two showers a day at least, um, you know, for any human. There's that, that adds up over such a long time and that's only one product. You know, you can think how many times you wash your hands. 
You can think about how many times you, you know, put roll-on or spray-on deodorant on. But all these things add up over time and it really got me thinking about what I'm actually putting on my body and why I should be using organic products, certified organic products, um, because it, it's going to add up over a long, long time. And I want my body to be as fit and healthy as it can be um, for the duration of my life. Well, before you go, can I just uh, rattle off a couple of very quick questions? There are things that I want to know, mm -hmm. and they are back to food, uh, of course. Yeah. What's your favourite dish? Oh, that's like asking, what's your favourite <laughs> child? Um, it really does change, especially with seasons. It really does change, especially with seasons, um, with what's going on. I mean, you know, with winter, you want something that's a little bit heavier. I've just gone through a massive... Um, menu change throughout three of our restaurants. And so, you know, I look at that, we've probably changed, I reckon, 30 dishes throughout throughout the three restaurants. Um, and there's a there's a dish that we put up up in Brisbane, which is, uh, it's a fish dish, John Dory, lovely in winter. Um, and it's a combination of corn, cabbage and miso. So it's a, um, a crispy skin John Dory fillet with some, mm. uh, a corn puree some charred some charred cabbage some charred corn some pickled wakame and then some a miso butter over the top and that for me i ate it the other day i was like That's it. is that would that would that be your last if you had to choose your last meal ever would that be that no definitely not um i'm like for me i think my last meal and this is going to sound really lame and silly but um, for me, my last meal isn't about who, but what I would eat. It's about who I would eat, eat it with because hopefully you have that chance. Um, so it's about having, you know, your closest, dearest friends and family there. And I'm simple. I'm an anchovy fiend and love me or hate me, but I love anchovies. And, yeah, there you go. But there's, <laughs> I got one. I got one, yes, and I got yes. a from Not Joe. Um, yeah, so honestly, a pack of the best anchovies in the world. With wow. some charred sourdough and a glass of oh. wine, and oh. done. Okay, well, that's good to know for when you know you might be on death row. That's what you would order. <laughs> yeah, very easy. Oh, Andy Allen, it's been lovely to chat with you, and um, we've got away without you and I as Collingwood supporters making it too hard for Ange as an Adelaide Crow supporter. Yeah. So the ears are blocked after, after the week. We're talking about blocked. food. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, make sure that you check out Master Chef. It's on Sundays to Thursdays on Channel Ten. Uh, you're heading into Celebrity Master Chef as well, so uh, that's going to be super interesting. Ange and I both have decided there's no chance we would do that. Oh, no. maybe next season. Mm. You've got time to scrub <laughs> up. Do I? Yeah, that gnocchi dish down pat. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Thanks so much, Andy. We'll catch up another time. You have a great day. Love it to chat to you guys. Thanks so much. And what a fun show we've had. It's been good. Had a couple of hiccups, but they just add to the enjoyment and the drama of it all. Fabulous. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> These things happen. I do take issue with what Andy just said, that making fresh pasta is not hard. Not hard, he said. I've never done it because it looks hard to me. Have you done it? Uh, no, there's plenty of good homemade pasta on the market as well. So, look, I, I don't. I'm feeling shamed into it, though. I know. But, but I've got an idea for tonight. I'm making, I'm going to have gnocchi tonight. He said what? gnocchi about four times in that interview, yes. and it's it's now, I can't get rid of it. And so, so gnocchi it make, is tonight. You're going to make your own gnocchi? No, no, no. Pop no. <laughs> to the shops. No, that would be madness. <laughs> well, Ro, our producer here, you did once make pasta yourself i did it was the biggest disaster i bought the pasta maker i spent the whole day making it and drying it and it destroyed the whole thing destroyed my kitchen wrecked the cook and put it on ebay the next day <laughs> so, what's the point what's the point you're right let's support some local farmers local <laughs> produce makers and local delis and use their yes. their home yes. pasta um before we go and i just want to share mm. some of the comments that we've had on the show on our social media during the show this morning thank you so much to dr lillian nehad who she's with us every week we love lillian um she actually agrees with kitty about the chocolate mm. no yeah 
It, it, it what about the, anti, the antioxidants? I mean, I don't know what they are, but dark chocolate is full of antioxidants and that sounds really mm. healthy and important. Yeah, All my have... favourite foods have antioxidants. Blueberries, spinach, red wine. And dark chocolate. Oh, yeah. good. You're right. I have no idea what antioxidants are. It's got something to do with free radicals. Again, no idea what a free radical is. Um, <laughs> but... we, should, we should get someone on the show. I think you and I are free radicals, aren't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you to Nillian, Lillian for that comment, even though we disagree with you. Um, but we do agree with you that she loves Kitty. Um, and uh, thank you also to, to Nicole, who mentions the fact that housing affordability and availability needs to be a Commonwealth issue because there needs to be yep. more housing stock available. Oh, it's housing affordability. We need more social housing. And the fact that we live in a first world country and we have this bigger problem with homelessness is an, is shameful. Mm. It really is. Mm. It, it's a disgrace because it's the same kinds of people who are struggling. It's, it's you know, people who've not found themselves with high paying jobs, essentially. So, yep. yeah, that's, that's... Oh, all power to Donna. She, her and her organisations are doing a wonderful job. Yeah. And we thank Jodie for saying that she didn't know that the National Homeless Collective existed. So pleased that she's learned about the Peary Project monthly donation coming up. I really love that idea. So, again, we encourage you to um, head along and if you can, donate. And it's been gorgeous to see you again. We'll uh, catch you <laughs> no. on Broad Radio another time. And hopefully soon we get to see each other in the flesh as well. No, we can Who have knows? some antioxidants together. Yes. <laughs> Crush a few grapes. Get into it. <laughs> uh, we'll have broad radio next week at 9 a.m. on Tuesday. Other than that, have a great week and I'll see you soon, Ange. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited-edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code MOM.